This is another episode of the Survival Podcast with the Jack Spirico. This is episode 3156. If you're tracking it as a Bitcoin breakout episode, it is episode 17. Today I'm going to be joined by Blake Griner of Musk Miners. Blake is the founder of Musk Miners. What is Musk Miners? Well, straight out of the gate, if it worked as clickbait, fine, but it has nothing to do with Elon Musk. Um, Musk Miners is a company that deploys solutions to harness wasted energy from flare gas. Now, I think we're going to talk mostly today with Blake about flare gas in Texas and Louisiana, because that's where they're located, specific to the oil and gas industry, where uh, I think a lot of people don't realize this, but whenever you're, whenever you're pumping oil, there is some natural gas. And generally speaking, there's not enough natural gas to make it worth harvesting. So as you're removing oil, you're venting gas. And it's a significant amount, but again, it's not enough to put in like a, a, a gas bottling and transport facility. So what do they do? They burn it off. In fact, they're required by law to burn it off. It's a massive amount of energy. And you might be thinking, well, why don't you do something with the energy? Good thought. Great thought. Wonderful thought. Problem is, have you been to where this stuff is done? You're out in the middle of this field, a thousand miles from nowhere, like the song by Dwight Yoakam. And there's no way to get that energy to where it's needed in a manner that makes it efficient enough for it not to be a net loss. And, and unlike government, companies don't do things at a net loss. They're responsible with resources. So they can't really use it efficiently. The government says if you can't use it, you have to burn it, so they set it on fire. But what if you could set up a machine, we call them generators, and you're burning it anyway. Now we burn it, we turn it into electricity... And even though the transmission distance doesn't make sense to send it off to like run a hospital, we're able to monetize that energy and store that embodied energy in a way that will translate through time and space. That would be Bitcoin. I talked about this last November at my fall workshop. I put up, they weren't this company, but pictures of another company doing these, these solutions. My own people kind of had a doubt in their mind about it. I said, this is not coming technology. This is deployable technology. And Musk Miners is deploying this technology right now in Texas and Louisiana. And they're here to talk to us about it today, about how this literally changes the calculus of everything. And I didn't really see anything in their literature about this, but I'm going to ask Blake about this today. There's another source of flare gas that I think most people are unaware of. In fact, it's really two, just, but we'll just call it waste plants. So all over the country, there are solid waste landfills. And these solid waste landfills is all that garbage we throw away instead of, like, you know, recycle, because we don't. You put the recycling bin out, and then you put the other recycling bin out, and you put the garbage bin out, and then the guy comes and throws them all in one truck together. It all goes to a landfill, and these landfills vent massive amounts of, 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 of methane gas. Well, you can cap that. Ever been by a sewage treatment plant? You'll see a lot of times on a sewage treatment plant, you'll see a gas flare. That's all your poop emitting gases. It's broken down and, 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 and cleaned so that it can go back into the, the water system. 
Your poop's not the problem. It's all the drugs and medication and chemicals in there that's the problem. But the methane's going to exist. Like Those are other places that this exact same technology can be deployed to harness a wasted stream of energy. And then again, embody that energy into a durable, hard money form that can transact across space and time. It's really, really cool. So, we'll have Blake on in just a minute. Before we do, let's hear from our sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is Start9.com. Guys, Start9 is a great way to run a Bitcoin node or a Bitcoin Lightning node and a Bitcoin node. You can do both. It's really, really cool. But it's so much more than that. It's a full digital sovereignty solution. You're talking about a device a little bit bigger than a standard deck of cards that will allow you to have things like end-to-end encrypted messaging running across your own server in a way that is, like, people say it's like military spec or go. It's so above that. It's so above It's a joke to call it like military-grade encryption. It is uncrackable end-to-end encryption running on your own private server. To have access to all your images, no matter where you go. All your passwords, no matter where you go. To take complete control of all your data and all your communications in a way that makes it truly private and truly personally sovereign. Learn more at Start9.com. And remember, guys, especially on the Bitcoin breakout side only, you need to get over to the Survival Podcast. You need to join my members brigade because if you get my membership, it will it will save you more than three years of membership for a one-year membership on the discount on Start9. If you're going to buy Start9, even if you think I'm a jerk, in a bad way, right? Go ahead and still become a member and then cancel. Just get your discount on Start9. It's that good. Next up today, ButcherBox.com. I've talked about how there is this kind of Venn diagram. People get into Bitcoin and they end up researching diet. And they end up realizing, like, we should actually be eating animal protein and fat as our primary dietary source. And then they realize, well, CAFO beef is crap. So what you want is grass-fed beef. Because you know, cows are ruminants and they eat grass. Crazy that, right? So we want cows that eat grass their entire life right up until graduation day. We want pork, which are or these, these wonderful pigs that are out in pasture. We want poultry to be out in pasture and have access to bugs and, and seeds and weeds and all the things that chickens want to eat. We want high-quality seafood. You get it all at ButcherBox. Now, here's my ringing endorsement for ButcherBox. Four-and-a-half-year sponsorship... Never have I ever, ever taken one penny in fiat or Bitcoin from ButcherBox. I am paid 100% by this sponsor and only this sponsor in product. Every month, a giant box of meat shows up at my house. A lot of times I pay them money because I buy more than I get in my deal. Like this week, this, this month they had a special deal. I got 10 pounds of bacon added to my order. And if you look at what you pay in the store versus what that, and you're talking pastured pork, tender belly bacon, one pound packages, right? It was way cheaper than buying it in a store, and it was an add-on. So this month I paid them, I paid them more than they paid me this month, but it's okay. That's how much I love this company. You want to learn more? Go to butcherbox.com. Again, you want to check out my membership. You get become a member. You get $10 a month off ButcherBox for as long as you stay a customer. That's $120 a year. These two sponsors alone make my membership profitable infinitely, forever. Just these two, and we have a lot of other supporting vendors in the MSB membership. We'll say maybe a little bit of that at the end today. I want to get into our live feed now with our special guest, Blake. And we are live, and with that, Blake, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast and Bitcoin Breakout, man. Very good to be here. 
glad to have you on today. This is a subject I've been wanting to talk more about, but it's also one of those I was looking for someone like you to come on and discuss because I tend to not talk about things I don't know, and I don't know a lot about flare gas. Um, but I get the principle. I think it's very, very cool. Could we start out with a, more of a general Bitcoin topic? Like, I always like to ask my guests, like, how did you even get into the world of Bitcoin? Because none of us were born into Satoshis or whatever. Yeah, I mean, and I think I'm most, I'm like a lot of other people. I was just sick of seeing a a downturn in our financial system, right? Our government just printing dollars on dollars on dollars and devaluing our own currency, right? That is not a good thing. And so we need this alternative and Bitcoin is it, right? When you think about what it's capable of and what it does from a financial standpoint, it's deflationary, right? And what that means is since it's finite, it gains value over time, which is really, really cool. That was one of the biggest things that attracted me to it was just the fact that there's only 21 million in existence. So then I thought, well, geez, I need to get into this. And I started looking at it more deeply and realized that one of the biggest things about Bitcoin is the fact that you can mine it, right? And when I realized that you can mine it and what mining entails, I, I had to do it. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you could ask my wife. I, I built this little shed, uh, in our basement type thing with a shelf and I got some S9s and I never looked back. She was not happy. Uh, the, the buzzing from the basement never stopped. Yeah. Yeah. And then the electric bill went up. Yes, that's exactly it. And then I learned how to read an electric bill, which was also helpful. <laughs> and from there, we started looking at getting cheap power and okay. we just kept going. And, and, uh, and, and that's what led us ultimately to flare gas. Very cool. I think you guys pretty much operate in the space of Bitcoin only from a company standpoint. Uh, I guess a customer can do whatever they want in the end with their, their miners. But um, do you draw a line between like Bitcoin and then the rest of the cryptocurrency space? Do you see it overlapped? I mean, are you a Bitcoin only guy or you know, how's that work for you? I mean, there's a couple of ways to approach that, right? I believe Bitcoin's king. Absolutely. It's the decentralized asset, right? There are others out there with really good technology. You know, obviously Ethereum, Kadena is really good. Uh, Litecoin's been around for a long time and a lot of those can be very lucrative to mine as well, right? So if you're in this industry to make money, you can absolutely mine altcoins, any, an altcoin, right? Anything besides Bitcoin and make money doing that. But from a company standpoint, we believe in Bitcoin a thousand percent. Um, although, I do have two small KD boxes that I run in my basement. So I can't say we're only Bitcoin, but we do run yeah. primarily S19s. Yeah. I think it's it's interesting that like almost all the companies I've looked at that are doing the type of thing you're doing, like basically harnessing stranded energy, they all seem to be in the Bitcoin space. They're not they're not out there mining Monero, which I actually have some real respect for, uh or some of the other stuff that I would call shit coins are not out doing any of that stuff. They're out, they're out doing Bitcoin. And that's, that seems to be like we're all, everything's being built on right now. So I'm with you. I think you can make money mining anything. And in fact, I, I know people that are still running GPUs that are mining some various shit coin that's actually the most profitable shit coin to mine at the, at the moment. 
But what they're doing is they're immediately throwing that on an exchange and flipping it over into Bitcoin because they can't directly mine Bitcoin profitably with a GPU, but they can mine some other thing that they can buy Bitcoin with. No, absolutely. And that's that's a really good example of what would be done with an L7, right? L7s, they just mine $20, $25 a day worth of Litecoin, right? Yeah. And the applicability of Litecoin and the popularity of Litecoin is it's enough that Litecoin's not going to just poof go away, right? Mm-hmm. So if you buy an L7 and you spend 12 grand, 13 grand on a miner, the biggest risk is that that coin just goes away, right? Yeah. And Litecoin's not going to do that. Uh, I mean, and so because of that, you know, not you can do exactly future. what you said. I mean, you just convert it. Not in the near future. I think a lot of these things, when we say they're not going to go away, I mean, the reason I am a Bitcoin maximalist is I've come to the conclusion that Bitcoin will be here in 25 years, 50 years, probably 100 years, maybe more. I'll be dead. It'll still be here. Where Litecoin, I think it'll be around for the foreseeable future, right? But I don't know what that... What does that timeline look like? I think in the end, Bitcoin is the T-Rex that eats everything. And some of these other things, I always try to temper it like you're trying to do there too. Like there are some interesting, useful technologies there, but I don't, I only see one as like a reserve financial asset, I guess is the way I'm putting it. I agree a thousand percent. And, and I think the biggest thing that we're going to see in the future, you talk about an asset going away in the future, right? I think what's going to prevent anything from going away is going to be its popularity. And the reason I say that is because if you've seen anything in the last couple of years with crypto is a coin can have absolutely no value and yeah. yet skyrocket in price. I mean, I hate to say it, right? But Dogecoin is such a good example of that where you oh, can take crap. an asset. It's it's literally a trap, right? And and nobody knows what it's used for. They don't care. No. But they're going to take 20 bucks. Some college kids are going to take 50 bucks and they're going to buy it, right? Yeah. And then it's going to go up in value. So the popularity of a coin has a big, uh, a, a big play in how long and how viable it's going to be around, I believe. But I also think that when you take that out aside, Bitcoin ultimately, because of its technology, is going to survive a thousand times farther. What, one of the most interesting things you can do to get a feel for this is you go back to like 2014 when the real explosion of all started and then go tw- take 2014, take your top 10 crypto coins and then, then look at today's top 10 and they keep going forward with that every year. And you notice that like they have about a two year cycle and most of them end up washed out, but some, you know, stick around or some get pimped by Elon Musk or something. Right. And then, Hey, so you guys are must mining anything to do with Elon. Um, you know, it depends, right? It depends on okay. the day. If he if he's got diamond hands or not, uh, we're okay. gonna take it. We're gonna take that name. We're gonna be like, yeah, we're totally into that, right? Otherwise, no, we're just musky fishermen from Minnesota, right? Okay, uh, we'll just All roll right. with it by day. <laughs> no, but I we love the tech that he's uh, he's put out, and and there's sure. there's been a lot of really really good facets of, of of technology that he's pushed forward. So yeah, without a doubt, but um. We'll go with depends on the day. <laughs> I, I did like when he put out the diamond hands thing right after they dumped a bunch of Bitcoin and freaking Michael Saylor put out a thing. It was like cabbage hands. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, hands, I love dude. it. I love it. It's I love You it. know what's cool, though, to me as a Bitcoiner is to see billionaires bantering about Bitcoin. Yeah. When like five years ago, if you told somebody that Elon Musk and Michael Saylor would be bantering about Bitcoin publicly on Twitter, they would have said you were smoking crack. Oh, right? it's nuts. It's yeah. nuts, right? It's it's so cool to see, right? And and that's where we're seeing this adoption and this popularity grow, right? And in our new modern social media that we have today, it's going to be the biggest player in that, right? So the more 
more that we have that and the more that we see people just bantering about it, the better it is for, for that, for Bitcoin. You know, let's spread that. Let's just spread the knowledge and, and just push it as hard as possible. And I, you know, it's, it's amazing to see. I love it. Yeah, I agree. So let's talk a little bit more about mining. What, it, what is Bitcoin mining the way you would explain it to somebody that doesn't understand? I mean, I remember listening to some guy. They, they were building one of the first like data centers for mining and they decided to go to like some West North Carolina town or something like that. And, and literally like the mayor of the town goes, well, what makes you think they're here? Right. Yeah. Which sounds yeah. ridiculous. Yes. But, but if you don't know, it's really not a, a, an unreasonable thing to ask. Right. So for the person that might even be at that level, what is mining? Yeah, so it's 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 just a it's a metaphor for earning more Bitcoin, right? And you earn more Bitcoin when you run a bunch of mathematical guesses with your miners, and we can actually probably more easily refer to miners as computers, right? So if you have a computer, it has the ability to throw out a bunch of mathematical guesses using certain algorithms, Bitcoin's algorithm, SHA-256. When you throw out all of those guesses, you're ensuring that transactions are legitimate and added to the public ledger correctly, the cryptocurrencies blockchain. And when you also uh, are doing that, you earn no, you help more Bitcoin enter into circulation, right? So without getting too far into the weeds, I think that when you really think about mining as a whole, you, you have to just really simplify it as we're doing two things. We're adding to a public ledger. We're helping verify transactions uh, correctly. And then we're, we're earning more Bitcoin. So when, when you're mining on a daily basis, you're solving blocks, right? And those blocks are part of that blockchain technology. So every day of, on average, about 144 blocks are solved. And of those blocks, when they're solved, 6.25 Bitcoin per block are rewarded. So about 900 Bitcoin on average are mined per day. And when you have a, a miner, a computer, you, you earn part of those Bitcoin. So you don't just get one whole Bitcoin, right? You can get, uh, you can get 0. 0.0004 Bitcoin per day. And that's just an example. To simplify it a little bit. And I hope that wasn't too into the weeds. No, it's but, not. Uh, yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's a, a very simplistic, uh, simplistic way. And there's a lot of, uh, variables that go into mining, such as difficulty, right? Uh, difficulty is just the, the, uh, the amount of Bitcoin that you're rewarded. It changes based on how many miners are on the network, right? Cause a lot of people would say, well, if there's 21 million Bitcoin that can ever be mined and you just put a billion miners on the network, they can all just earn it right away, right? And, and it well, doesn't work that way. It doesn't work like that, right? That's where Satoshi, the creator Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, either one guy or a group we don't know, anonymous, right? Uh, that's where that uh, invention was so genius because you have to be able to uh, – you have to be able to – dumb down the ability to earn Bitcoin as miners were added onto the network. So um, I, I hope that's not too far into the weeds. No, and I think it's actually a really important thing. And I think as Bitcoiners, a lot of times, one of the things we shy away from is the technical explanation to no-coiners that we're trying to onboard. 
And I think it's actually a really important topic. And the reason I think it's so important is there is this ethos that goes around in the, the world of ignorance that is, well, Bitcoin's backed by nothing. It's backed by nothing, but it's, it's, it's like ether. It's, 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 it's gas. It's vapor, vaporware or something. And Bitcoin is backed by security and energy. That's what Bitcoin's backed by. And without mining, you don't have that. And without proof of work, you don't have that. And without the difficulty adjustment, you don't have that. And I remember, I don't remember who was debating. It was somebody who was debating old man Boomer Schiff about, you know, Bitcoin versus gold. And he said that Bitcoin was worthless. And somebody said to him, well, what's the value of the Bitcoin network? And you know, they had a stat to it. It was like so much terawatts and so many machines, and so many locations, and so many nodes and like had all the numbers. And he like flipped his Boomer ass, man. He was like, I don't know, but it's worthless. Like, and when somebody acts like that, you know, you've hit on something that they understand, but they don't want to understand. Right? Yeah. Because of the absolutely. way of marketing or whatever, because when you, when you start thinking about the amount of computers that sit around and they spend 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, seven days a week, nonstop, all to make sure that right now, if, if I send you a quarter of a Bitcoin, cause I'm going to buy a used car from you, that you know the exact reality that you now possess the UTXO of that 0.25 Bitcoins. You know it's yours. You know, and everybody else knows, maybe not that it's Blake's, but this address has control of this 0.25 Bitcoin, this specific piece, and we know and we can trust it. And once you understand that, I think then you can understand there is a, a huge intrinsic value to being able to transact that way and be able to move because people, people that say it's slow have no idea what they're talking about. To be able to move a billion dollars from here to Japan for $5 in 10 minutes, and, and, and we start seeing it as a settlement layer and realize layers like lightning take care of other stuff, there is nothing like it in the world. It's like gold if gold was liquid but weightless. I think Satoshi actually said it's something similar to that at one point. I can physically transport a million dollars. Yeah. On a plane faster than I can wire a million dollars to China. That's right? actually true. As long as nobody takes it from you along the way, yes. Right, yeah, exactly. I mean, the safety aspect yeah. aside, right? But, yeah. but you get my point, right? Is you're, that you're totally our, fiat, right. our fiat system is so primitive. And when you look at, even, even if it's, I mean, we'll, we'll even set Bitcoin aside, right? Cause there's applicability on stable coins in, in, in some facets as well. And when you think about those as well, you can you can take out the volatility when you use a stable coin, and then all of a sudden, poof, you can send that within two minutes, a, a, a million dollars within two minutes across the world. That is amazing to me because in the world that we live in today, I can call them. I can reach out to them. I can see them on a video. Why can't I yeah. send them my money, right? Yeah. Because our fiat system is so controlled, right? It's so centralized. It's so controlled that they don't want that to happen. They want to make sure that they know exactly where every dollar is going to what bank, from whom, for what, that's frustrating, right? That's my money. That's my financial asset. I don't want people to know what, what I'm buying, right? And I'm not, I mean, there are obviously people out there that are going to use it for illicit purposes, and, and that's not a good thing. But you can't use that as a reason to say, oh, because of these individuals, you don't have the ability. We want to make sure uh, your you need to be seen as well because they did wrong, right? So I'm yeah. receiving those repercussions because of their illicit activity. I mean, this Bitcoin prevents that. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's amazing. 
Well, and, and, that, and, and in the energy standpoint is a whole nother point. I mean, we got to talk about that. We're about too, to go right? into that. But I mean, <laughs> like now that you're hitting on that, there's like, I think there's actually two things that make the transaction speed of fiat slow. One is the governmental control. But the other side of it is if I send you Bitcoin, whether I'm a company sending it to another company or an individual to another individual, whether we're using the lightning network, whether we're using on-chain Bitcoin, using something like liquid, I don't care. Any of it, we're transacting an asset, right? It's not a promise. It's an asset. When we transact in dollars, we're transacting in a liability. A dollar is not a dollar. It's a promise based on a debt that is a liability. So anywhere along the way in all this sophisticated, inter, especially when we go inter-border, international borders, you have the potential to end up holding the hot potato and not being able to get rid of it. Well so said. each person in the chain wants to know, okay, Chase Bank, and I'm some Euro- European bank, but the transaction's going to India. I don't want it until I know I can offload it to India. So it hangs in this nebulous space. And I want to hold it as briefly as I possibly can in a cross-borders transaction where I'm an intermediary between two other institutions because it's a, it's a debt. If it's Bitcoin, it's an asset. Nobody has a problem holding it, but the beauty is the only people that have to hold it is the, the guy that had it and the guy that's getting it. We don't need somebody in between. Right. Absolutely. No, it's very well said, and, and, and Bitcoin stops that. I love it. I absolutely love it. So why would you tell somebody to mine Bitcoin? And I think there's two ways to answer it. There's a simple way, which is some dude that's thinking about getting a miner and plugging it into a shed like you're talking about versus a customer of somebody like Musk Mining. So let's go with the, the simpler version first, because the other one has a totally different answer because you're wasting that damn energy. That's that's why the second person wants to do it, right? Yeah, and I mean, I usually break it down into two different things. And, and, and the first is you can completely ROI on your computer and then earn free Bitcoin after your energy costs like that from a financial feasibility standpoint is is pretty awesome right like if if you want to buy bitcoin that's fine that's that's wonderful as well then you own it and that's that's beautiful but if you buy a miner and you earn all that bitcoin back with your miner and you you make that money back all of a sudden for the remaining lifespan of that miner you're then earning free bitcoin and you're doing the second uh, the second best thing which is supporting the network right so if you can get to that feasible financial standpoint, it's it's an amazing thing to mine. You're also taking out the emotional aspects of Bitcoin investments. And what I mean by that is volatility is scary. Uh, Bitcoin is very volatile. Cryptocurrency is very volatile. And it's hard for me, and this is just me speaking personally, it's hard for me to... See Bitcoin at sixty five thousand, and then go down to twenty thousand. Yeah. And think to myself, "Ooh, I should buy some, right?" Because it's so much easier to buy at sixty five thousand because you can intra- Like I convince myself, and I see other people doing it as well, that if it's at sixty five, it's totally going to seventy five. Like I'm totally <laughs> going to buy it at sixty five because it, why wouldn't it go to seventy five? And I'm yeah. hitting it at the right time, right? But then you see it go to twenty, and you look back, and it's amazing because. At 65,000, people will go, man, that guy bought three Bitcoin at 20 grand, you know, and now we're here and nobody's buying it. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. But what mining does is you're mining every day, no matter what 
you have no emotional investment involved, right? Your computer's running, you're earning Bitcoin every single day, no matter what, right? And the Bitcoin that you mine at 20 grand, or say you mine a half a Bitcoin at 20 grand, and Bitcoin goes back up to 65, you just gain that value as well. That's, that's an amazing thing. So that's why we love mining from a, a kind of a financial standpoint. And, uh, I guess we can, we can definitely jump into the wasted standpoint as well too. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about what Musk mining actually does, right? So, and, and my whole mindset on everything has changed because of Bitcoin. And one of the ways I've noticed that is if I'm, when I travel somewhere in Texas, inevitably, if I go far enough, I will drive past some oil rig somewhere venting, venting natural gas with a flare. And I was saying during my intro segment before you were on, people don't understand why they do that. And they're like, well, if it's natural gas, natural gas is worth money. But the, the amount of gas that's a, a byproduct of that oil well, it's the, the infrastructure necessary to, to, to capture it and move it would cost more than the gas would ever yield, at least in any kind of reasonable ROI that a business is looking for. But yeah, that's something right. that a company like Musk Mining can go out. You can cap that flare, power generators with it, and start running miners with it relatively quickly, right? Yeah, I mean, and and to be clear, right, we're not the only ones doing this. It's not sure. a novel concept, no. but it it is novel in the sense that flare has been around since oil production has been around, right? Correct. And but the thing about it is, we never had the infrastructure available to be able to consume that amount of potential power, that gas, right? So. For example, if you have a megawatt of natural gas that's just being burned off, right, you're not going to put a Walmart out there that can consume a one megawatt worth of energy every day, right? You're not going to put a housing development out in this rural community in in the middle of Texas, in the middle of North Dakota, in the middle of wherever it may be, because it's not feasible. So you just burn it off, right? And now we have the ability to put a 40-foot box with computers that run 365 days a year and pull a megawatt of power and don't require any kind of emotional support, no, no infrastructure, <laughs> right? No, no, nothing, right? It's literally just machines and they're consuming this power and it would otherwise be wasted. Now, you, what you said is absolutely right. You also don't have the infrastructure to transport said gas, but there's another stand, there's another side where when you produce oil, you're always going to have that byproduct. Right. And you're always it might not be high enough of a byproduct to even think about just even think about transporting. So you just flare it off. And when you consume that with Bitcoin mining, not only do you get a a net zero production, you also see that you get a better amount of oil produced at your facility. And and when we're talking about oil, I'm being a little bit too specific, I think, because, yeah. There's, there's like in Texas, we're on a micro LNG site, right? So we can, we are literally just pulling the flare from a liquefied natural gas site. And that's pretty amazing for us, right? And then there's other, there's other Hold plants on, out there. Because if you're doing natural gas, how do you have surplus natural gas? How does that work? Yeah. So, you, so when you produce it, you always have a, a waste byproduct. You will not okay. be able to consume everything, right? So whether that waste is 5%, whether that waste is 10%, you just have to figure out exactly how much of that you can consume 
and how much you have available. And there's other variables too, right? You have to understand pressure of that gas because you have to feed it into your gen. You have to understand what uh, molecules of gas you're getting, right? Methane, propane, butane, pentane. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different molecules out there that will burn better or burn worse. So that'll impact how well your gen set runs, uh, mm. you know, and, and so there's, there's a lot of variables that you have to consider. And that micro LNG site is really unique because as long as that plant is running and producing micro LNG, we'll always have flare, right? Because a lot of these, a lot of these flares that you drive by in rural Texas, you assume that they're just pockets of gas that were byproducts of oil production, which is true, which is absolutely true. But going back to the micro LNG site, it's unique because we'll always have that flare as long as that site is running, right? Gotcha. And so that's that's a, another unique facet, but they would also just waste it away otherwise. So it's, it's pretty cool. And I think there's other sources of energy that are basically flare energy. My understanding is like every major landfill in, in the United States is required to flare their gas, and their gas is all of our garbage decomposing, right? So that's an – I don't know if you guys are working with anybody like that, but I, I see no real difference – in how the technology would work and literally every landfill could be mining Bitcoin. No, and that you're not, you're not wrong at all. We've been, we've been approached. We're not working with anybody like that yet. Uh, I think that's the future. Any flare site that has a feasible amount of gas and good enough quality should be mining Bitcoin. Period. I mean, it, it, it just should happen. There's, there's no reason not to. One of the things that makes me very comfortable about where we are off grid mining, flare gas mining is just off grid mining, is that when legislation sets in, and I, I don't want to get too into the weeds about the government, but when legislation sets in, we will be looked at as using simply wasted energy, right? We're not consuming right. on grid coal power that's impacting a community, right? We're, we're doing it other, we're just using otherwise wasted energy. I mean, why not let us continue and why not make it more prevalent? You know, Cause that energy will be there and without you will be wasted. And I think that that goes beyond for Bitcoin. That goes beyond what, what Musk is doing in that there are other places where we wouldn't be harnessing a flare of energy. What we harnesses energy that can't be transported. So you're right. kind of a two state solution. You have a power generation thing and you have a miner, the mobile miner you know, a trailer is a mobile mining system. Well, that mobile miner could go anywhere that you can get power. So, for instance, a lot of these wind farms, they have a surplus of energy. That can be – they just can't – I think it's just hard for people to get their head around. I don't care how many batteries you have. I don't care what you got going on. There's a surplus of energy being produced that will never get from this field out in the hill country to Austin suburbs. It is gone. It is like a fart in the wind and it disappeared, but it could be harnessed. And to me, what that also says is we can, you know, you said like you're not going to build a Walmart to use that one megawatt of energy. But if you can develop an energy source, you might build a small town, but you need something to monetize the energy to make it worth developing the flipping energy. Absolutely. So, you know, we need a, in my opinion, we need, we need a hundred thousand small towns that are strong versus trying to revitalize cities that are in complete decline and total decay. No, a thousand percent agree. And, and to your point, 
you're exactly right. When we go out there with our computers too, we're creating a usable asset, right? We're not just generating something that puts money in Musk miners' pockets, right? We're creating a financially viable, feasible asset that is usable over generations, generations and generations. That's, that's the amazing thing that we're doing is we're creating something. We're creating something that will never, and I, I believe will never go away. I, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly a, a very high on the scale of permanence. Um, as long as we're going to be using these sources of energy, it was going to be waste. And you can have all the pie in the sky crap you want about we're all going to live off of solar panels and jelly bean fields. And it's not anything that's imminent for human humanity. Um, Europe's giving us a pretty good look at that right now. What that looks like when you start saying, oh, we got enough. We're going to be fine. No, you're not. Like Europe without natural gas apparently is not a great place to live. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's the world is in a little bit of turmoil right now. Uh, you know, if it could just calm down, that'd be great. Uh, but we're absolutely seeing the impacts of energy and how it can just really hurt a community without it. Right. And, and that's something that I was never taught about energy in high school. I didn't understand energy before I was in this business. I didn't realize how absolutely necessary it was. Right. Cause I'm just flipping on a light switch and all of a sudden it was good to go. Right. I didn't realize that the amount of grid power that we have is, is, you know, we just need to be able to develop, to develop our system more sustainably. And we're seeing that absolutely in Europe. We're seeing that on the global impacts of, of, of countries fighting with one another, right? I mean, the war is, it's, it's, it's this very scary thing, but it's teaching us a lot about how important our energy grid really is and how sustainable energy is very important. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty bizarre to see. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things the United States has that Europe doesn't is we have massive reserves of energy. Like we, for all the talk of having to get oil from, from Middle East and whatever, we have massive energy reserves. Uh, there are parts of the world that don't, you know, or the, what they do have either due to environmental reasons or just financial extraction costs. They can't afford to develop. One of the problems in Ukraine, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, is that there's all this natural gas available in Ukraine. Ukraine can't afford to get to it and actually extract it. And so they need outside outsiders to come in and do it. But there's so much corruption, they're absorbing all the outside money before it develops the resource, right? And, and it's, it's just a mess. And now you've got a war there, right? So, like, it's a... We're not going to solve that today, so let's stick to Bitcoin. But, like, there's a lot of places in the world that have, like, conflict zones where stability would be reliably available energy. So, right. like, you know, when I see, like, a giant waterfall, and, and I full well know why you can't turn that into hydroelectric energy, I'm like, but but you could. But you could. and it, or, or, like, El Salvador is talking about building a volcano city and using geothermal. Like, without Bitcoin, that model doesn't work. We'll see if it works. But we know without Bitcoin, it doesn't work. It only could work with Bitcoin. Right. No, totally agree. And, and, and there's a lot of ways that we can use Bitcoin miners as a very, as a very, um, feasible 
non-subsidized approach to build our energy grid. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of guys out there making a lot of money, right? So if you allow them to come in and allow them to develop the infrastructure to make more energy, whether that's wind, whether that's hydro, whether that is whatever it is, when you do that, the infrastructure that's developed can be distributed throughout the community. And it wasn't subsidized by the government. We didn't print more dollars. We yeah. let the Bitcoin mining infrastructure come in and help, right? It's it's a very, very just good solution to energy infrastructure that's being overlooked, right? It's it's pretty awesome. It really is. So let's talk about how first if person wants to get started mining, let's let's go back to that kind of bifurcation there. Let's start off with a person that like it's 2022 and, you know, the best time to buy Bitcoin would have been about 2009, you know, on a laptop. And that's not going to happen anymore. What's the best way for a person to get started mining at home? I mean, so what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to check your electric costs, right? That's always my go to is look at your bill. And we help people uh, look at their bill often. Uh, they're very confusing. There's demand charges. There's on peak. There's off peak. I mean, it's it's pretty wild stuff. So when you realize how much energy uh, or how much uh, how much you pay for electricity, that's going to be the big kicker, right? Because S19s right now they're not entirely uh, they're they're not extremely profitable at home operating costs. Uh, you know, call right. it twelve to fourteen cents electric prices. So we've been actually pushing. Uh, for self-starter home miners, the KD boxes, they're really, really good. Uh, they're 200 watts, which is, uh, which is pretty minimal. Uh, you can run them profitably at high power costs and they're really, uh, really quiet. So, and they run on 120 volt power, which is awesome. Uh, so if you wanted to start home mining, look at those electric costs, find out what you have. From there, decide what miner is the most profitable. Decide uh, what what makes the most sense for your uh, operation. Some guys have businesses and they use uh, electric costs as write-offs. Some guys uh, form LLCs and um, only mine certain coins that they believe in. Right? It just depends. So uh, there's a lot. Yeah, I, I think one of the things I've heard about um, people doing too is when it comes to a mining pool. There's pools now that literally say your hash power is worth X. And it's not about if the pool did or did not find Bitcoin that day. They know that if that based on what's going on right now, if all the people in their pool are mining at X, that they will have about Y and they're willing to like pay out on buying your hash power alone. And I think yeah. for a lot of, like if you have one miner, I think that makes a lot of sense than hoping your pool finds a, a Bitcoin a day. No, absolutely. You definitely should join a pool. Uh, you know, just just for the just for simplicity, a pool just allows miners to to basically combine their hash power and get a better chance of earning more of the currency that they're mining, right? So we always mine in a pool for sure. Uh, otherwise, you might hit a reward at some point in time. I mean. Some people do it and then they hit a Bitcoin, a full Bitcoin, and they're laughing all the way to the bank, which is fine. It's a big yeah. risk. We only mine in pools. Uh, it, it makes things much more predictable. You can see how much you're going to earn per day. You can see how much you've, you have earned per day, uh, which allows you to make, uh, make it more, uh, just, uh, feasible over a long period of time. So yeah, absolutely join the pool. 
Um, and, and then if you really think about, uh, you know, getting into things from a large scale, uh, the easiest way to do that, or even, even a medium scale, right? Call your electric company. Cause a lot of people will buy the miners and then call their electric company. Do it, yeah. do, do the opposite, right? Yeah. I sell miners. Don't do that. Don't, yeah. don't buy miners first. Call your electric company and say, Hey, what can you give me for power? Can I get a, a better rate? Can, do you have a, a, you know, some companies have buildings that they own that they know have electrical infrastructure in place already to go. Call them. Right. See what they say. I mean, you're the consumer at that point and you're about to pay them a bunch of money to consume their electricity. They like that. Right. They'll help you probably. Uh, but also be cautious. You know, there's a lot of fine, uh, fine wording and legal fees, uh, uh, within their contracts that, um, can be, uh, very misleading, especially right now. Uh, you know, going back to the war, it's impacted the, uh, gas prices globally. So, um, you know, we've seen on-grid power providers increase electric costs for small-scale miners and for large-scale miners. So, um, you know, guys were getting pushed contracts 12 months ago when they were starting these farms and they were pushed contracts across the table stating, hey, we are giving you this electric rate. And then on page 21, it stated, you know, something along the lines of, oh, by the way, we reserve the right to increase it to this at this point in time if this happens. And then, lo and behold, it did, right? And now they're paying this extraordinary electric rate. So be careful. Uh, Just be uh, cautious is all. And uh, do your homework. Um, I think one of the things you touched on, and it's really important for people to understand, is the timing aspect where like you can actually have a miner that, that comes on during your non-peak hours and shuts off during your peak hours. And Correct. people would think, well, I'm not maximizing my miner. You are because running something at a, at a loss is bad. Absolutely. Right? So if I'm running a restaurant and I determine that I lose money every day from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m., I just turned my, if I'm smart and I want to stay in business, I just turned my restaurant into a dinner only enterprise. Correct. I'm not going to operate at a loss. Now, if I have a loss one day a week and I got to be open for consistency, fine. But if I'm going to lose every single day from eight to one or eight to three, I'm not open. And unlike the restaurant, there's no problem with that S919 running at two o'clock in the morning. Right. The the ATF doesn't say you have to shut down your liquor enterprise with your bar at 2 a.m. and send everybody home. And, you know, nobody goes out to eat dinner at four o'clock in the morning. Right. Except drums that left the bar that they got kicked out of. They go to Waffle House where you can run that whenever. And a perfect example of this. And this is unique, but it's really cool. I had a guest on a while ago named Brian Harrington. You probably know him from Twitter. Um, He's with Choice and he's kind of gotten to the whole homesteading and all that other stuff we talk about. He's put solar in. And he literally, his solar panels every day charge up his battery bank till they can't fit any more power in the battery bank. And then they run his Bitcoin miner until the sun goes down. Love and that. He, it's not a lot of money in Bitcoin, but it's, you know, he pieced together his miner and all that. It's long since paid for itself. Well, he's in California. In Texas, they would have to literally pay me what I pay them. In California, he would get something like two cents a kilowatt hour, right? Instead of, you know, the 30 cents, because California is stupid, well, he's paying for it when he has to buy grid energy. And so all that surplus energy is running the Bitcoin miner. Now, it wouldn't make sense for him to constantly run off that solar panel. He's saving himself the money of buying from California by using alternative energy and then flipping that over 
And I know that right now he's actually looking at expanding his solar array to generate even more power. Well, it wouldn't even make sense to generate more power unless he expanded his battery bank without the Bitcoin component. Yep, absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. And you're, you're just adding to the amount of people that understand, understand green technology and green energy generation. And, and that's a, another positive aspect of Bitcoin mining, right? You're encouraging that knowledge to become more prevalent and understand how we can be more feasible in the future to generate more energy. And going back to your restaurant example, right? If you're closed from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. and that's in the summertime because all the college kids went home, right? Yeah. Imagine the college kids are at home when we're in a bear market, right? And then Bitcoin comes back and the college kids come back and we're in a bull market. Then all of a sudden it's profitable to stay open all day because you have the, the individuals there to eat, right? And that's the same thing with Bitcoin mining is maybe you have high electric costs during the day, but then Bitcoin goes way up in price and it's still profitable to operate at those costs. So you can adapt with mining, just like you can in another industry based on the markets, which is pretty cool. And it has that advantage of, of being able to harness the stranded energy and be able to basically not use energy when either it's not profitable for the miner or when the grid people need it for something else. Yep, that's, absolutely. that's incredibly advantageous because a lot of the stranded energy stuff, well, they want that peak so that when there's a giant heat wave or like the freeze we had a couple of years ago here, that that surplus is available to keep the grid going. Well, if you tried to harvest that surplus energy by, say, putting a data center there, because Bitcoin mining farms are basically data centers. It's just a different kind of computer where yep. a lot of our data centers today, they're running basically web servers. Like I pay 800 and something bucks a month for a dedicated web server because of the amount of you know volume of listeners I have in downloads. So, if my server company went to a wind farm and said, we'll buy all your surplus energy and build a data center right here at the wind farm. When that wind farm says, hey, we need to shut you guys to shut down for seven days. I'm kind of pissed. I'm going to punch somebody in the head. My whole business, my, I cannot afford my server to be down. But if I have a, a mining co-location agreement with them, that kind of comes with the territory. There'll be times when your miner's not mining, but I don't have an expense at the time, because unlike a web server or whatever, you can literally just have this mining farm running thousands of miners and it can shut off and turn back on. And it's right. up and running in, in literal seconds. And there's nothing else in the world that does that. Yeah, absolutely. It's and, and what we're seeing, too, is that the large mining farms are doing that, right? Yeah. The riots of the world in Texas that their 750 megawatt facility during peak hours of Texas heat, they were shutting off. Yep. And it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't ERCOT calling Texas, calling Riot and saying, hey, you got to shut off right now. It was all computerized. It was yep. literally a signal that was sent like poof, shut off now because we need it. And then it can turn back on. Right. And that's an amazing thing, an amazing thing, because Bitcoin miners from an industry standpoint are very willing to work to make it feasible for everybody in every community. Right. And, and that's a pretty cool thing. And that actually stabilizes the grid because, again, yes. that power generation facility can't just like there's not people get this weird thing in their head. They watch too much TV, like we just kick another generator on or something like it doesn't work that way. You can't just go, hey, we need an extra 10,000 gigawatts, like turn the dial up. They have to be operating at a capacity 
And, and again, generally what happens is that surplus energy is lost, right? So they have to be at that capacity, but then they have to be able to deliver the surplus. So they have to be right. able to afford to generate the surplus, which means not getting paid for energy you generated, which, okay, now you're paying 14 cents, but if they're generating 30% more, they, their, their cost of that, that, that energy they're selling you is 30% higher. Absolutely. Like we have like total economic illiteracy in this country and no one thinks that way. Everybody thinks as a consumer that the person selling you the thing is always trying to get you and rip you off and whatever. Companies are in business to make money and they do that by serving customers. And if they're not profitable, guess what? You turn the switch on and the lights don't come on because we have this expectation. I don't want to like go, Oh gee, I need power now and then send a cell phone signal because that's got a battery in it. And in 30 minutes, I'll have power. We want to be able to walk into a room 24 7, 365, flip a switch and a light comes on, right? right? Or go, it's kind of stuffy in here and go click and the AC comes on. And we right. want that on demand power and that requires that surplus. And that's something that like, to me, once I understood that, and this was years ago when I used to sell industrial computer hardware that I understood, I was like, we should be teaching children this in like freaking like eighth or ninth grade. But we don't because there's no incentive for the state to teach this. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, 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 it starts hurting things like class warfare if you start teaching people that, oh, you mean companies have to actually work really hard to deliver a service to me? Then they can lose money when they do it. They don't just have money because they're companies, right? No, those would be banks. <laughs> right? Like, like, <laughs> there's, a, so, there's a sitcom I watch, and there was like a husband and wife that were fighting, and there was a third friend that was causing all the problems, and they didn't realize it at first, and the guy's like, I guess I'm just not a good husband. She's like, no, wait a minute. You're a, you're a great husband. And the two of them stop all of a sudden and they go, well, then what's the problem? And then they turn to the third friend and are like, you. And I think there's like this, there's going to be this collective moment where the people of this country turn to the banking sector and go, you, you are the problem. You are the manipulator. You are the ones that are devaluing the money I'm trying to save for my kids' college. The reason that keeps getting more expensive is the money's worth less every freaking day by design. And when you do your job right, it's terrible. And when you screw your job up, it's much worse, which is, what I think, what we're seeing right now. Like, what they do is a horrible thing, but when they fail at it, it's even worse. Right. No, I agree a thousand percent. And and I, I did want to make the point, too, uh, you know, there are going to be hills, for Bitcoin in the future, right? And we know those are coming regardless. Yeah. In my opinion, one of the biggest hills that it has to overcome is legislation, governmental legislation, right? And that is inevitable. It has to happen. It has to be regulated in some facet, right? Now, different countries are going to do it differently, right? And so the United States is going to be a big player. Maybe they'll tax the living crap out of it. I don't know. Maybe they won't. Who knows? But that has to happen. Now, that being said, that for, for me is, is going to be kind of this, kind of this almost inevitable, inevitable approach where we have to look at it from a political standpoint and say, all right, who's involved in this and who supports this? And we have to have companies like Musk or like, uh, like the big boys behind us, right? There's a great organization in Texas called the Texas Blockchain Council, right? Mm-hmm. They do really good work that, uh, 
tries to push forward good legislation for Bitcoin miners as a whole because there are positives out there. But there's also negatives where people don't understand what's going on and they're high in politics, right? They're they're high ups and they don't know what's going on. It's very scary. So, I mean, we talk about overcoming this this lack of knowledge and 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 not being taught about energy. Well, what's scary to me as well is is these these politicians that don't know a damn thing about what they're talking about. Yeah. But they know there's a stigma on the coin. They know they know that they, it's been used, you know, black markets, whatever it may be, um, you know, Mount Gox or, you know, the Silk Road, whatever it is. And they focus on these stigmas and it's it's very, very nerve wracking. So I hope we can overcome that and and through that uh, gain more adoption. Right. I mean, I talk about adoption as. It's very similar to Facebook. That's what I see, right? If you look, think about the social network and what Zuckerberg did from an approach is he didn't go to Harvard and Yale, right? He went to the surrounding colleges to advertise for Facebook and had them adopt it first, the smaller ones. Yeah. And I think that's what we're seeing with Bitcoin, right? The El Salvador's, the third world countries that are going to adopt it first, that need it the most. And then we're going to see the seconds and then we're going to see the first because they have to. Right. It's going to be the little guys first and then the big boys are going to be like, oh, right, you know, OK, we'll figure this out. Hopefully we don't have some craziness in, in the political system. I think this is a big reason why you've seen so much foot dragging to allow a Bitcoin ETF. And I, there's a lot of Bitcoin maximalists like we don't need them. It's our money. Something like, like you don't understand the day they pull the trigger on that. It's not just number go up. It's. It becomes a retirement asset and a teacher's pension fund. It becomes a retirement asset in a police officer's pension fund. It becomes a retirement asset in a firefighter's pension fund. And you know what you don't fuck with, to be blunt? Retirement assets and public servants' pension funds, right? You can't. At that point, any idea that you're going to... You're going to squeeze it out or get rid of it. You, 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 you literally can't do it. You can put it in a, you know, some of it, you can put it in a futures ETF. Well, that nobody really understands that. Basically, that's also, I think, been a big suppression on price because the futures ETFs that are out there literally in their perspective say what they're going to do in the days they're going to do it on. So if you're, if you're playing short squeezes in the market, you literally know here's the value of this fund. And here's their execution dates and what they're going to, and they have to do because they're a ETF and they're a regulated concern. They literally, you can do almost anything you want, but you better do what you said you're going to do. So you have this known quantity in manipulating price now. And I think it's a twofold thing. One, they're afraid of like once it's fully out, like you literally can't stop it. But two, I think there's a lot of really, really wealthy organizations, entities, people, nations who would like more Bitcoin on the balance sheet. And and I, I swear to God, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic at all. You get a true, regular, flat spot ETF for Bitcoin, and you're a quarter million dollars in six months. Like, I don't care if it starts at five or 50, you're a quarter million dollars in six months. And it doesn't come back because when people buy in the in the form of an ETF and a retirement account, it's by its very nature, very long-term holdings. No, I agree. I agree a thousand percent. And I think that is going to come with adoption, right? So yeah. when you think about statistically, right, uh, what was the survey it was done in 2021? Uh, the amount of crypto users, users globally, 3.9%. Yeah. I mean, 
That's nuts. We're yeah. so early. Yeah. We're so early. It's amazing. It's the internet was born in 1983, right? This is our yeah. this is our Twitter bio, right? It was born in yeah. 1983. Bitcoin is call it, I mean 2009. Call it, uh, you know. X number of years old. Like, I can't math on the fly. You've got mail. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's you've got mail. Call it, call it 12 years old. Bitcoin's still doing a 14 four handshake. If it's It's nuts. It's nuts. It's, it's Google in 97. It's Apple in 96. It's, it's, it's give me all of that. I'll take all that every day. Right. Give me it all. And, and that's amazing. You know, I mean, we are in the internet of money and it's so early. I, I love it. You know, it's, it's another reason to mine. It's another reason to buy Bitcoin. It's another reason to just support the network all in all. So let's get back to your company for a minute because the great philosophical stuff, but I also want to make sure we, we get you some exposure on this. Who is your ideal customer and what does it look like engaging with Musk mining? So I, I would imagine that is somebody that's producing oil or something else is causing a flare. Yeah, I mean, so we go out and we go to producers and we just say, hey, you know, you guys are flaring. Uh, we'd love to pay you for that gas. And we analyze the oh. gas and see how long it'll be around, right? A lot of guys, I'm not going to lie, it, it just because it's waste, it doesn't mean they have to sell it to us, okay. right? Like we'll, we'll offer them money and some guys will just say no because they don't want sure. to. Because, and that's fine because it's not ours. Uh, you know, other guys are like, you're going to pay me how much? For this, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, right. <laughs> there's there's really good stuff out there, but um, you know, from a from a customer standpoint, we really just look for operators of a wellhead that have the the optimistic approach that want to get into um, you know using a wasted asset to make more money, and then from a hosted client standpoint. We're just looking for individuals with high power costs that want to get into Bitcoin mining. Because when we charge, you know, we have an MOQ of five units for our hosted units. And when we charge, uh, we charge 8.5 cents all in. That's an all in cost. Uh, what I mean by that is there's no racking fee. There's no, you know, service fee or anything like that. That's about $199 in S19. And we see that as a symbiotic relationship. And the reason for that is there are guys out there that, have 14 cent power that want to mine Bitcoin. So if you buy a miner or five and you send them to us and we run them for 8.5 cents rather than your 14 cents, it's feasible for everybody, right? We're consuming no, wasted energy. It, it just, it just makes sense from a symbiotic relationship. You know, you talk about a business and, and making money for everybody. Everybody wins. No, I'm glad I drilled down on this with you then because there are different models harnessing this flare gas. There are models where the company literally says to the, to the comp, the, the, the mining company says to the gas company, we'll sell you this equipment and install it for you. And you're the miner. You're doing a different right. thing. You're saying, I will buy the gas from you for as long as it produces for X. Correct. And then you're, you're actually putting your own mining equipment or a much smaller customer's mining equipment in that facility. So my colo, instead of being a data center using hydroelectric in Washington is in a back of a Connex on a flare site in rural Texas. Yeah. And, and I mean, right now we're setting up shop in, in uh, Louisiana, 
that's that's okay. where we're at. And, There's and, and a lot to develop there, man. There's it's it's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. And so we yes, absolutely. We want to make it as easy as possible for the operator and as easy as possible for the client. We're doing the majority of the heavy lifting, right? We supply the gen sets, the containers, the internet, everything, right? We we have the man on site. I mean, we wanna make it simplistic. Because when you get into the details, it's so much harder to make it viable. It's just, it's just scary for everybody. So, I mean, one thing I do want to add, I mean, the Connex concept of putting miners in a Connex container, that's absolutely true. But there's also these, what we've seen in the industry so far is these amazing manufactured containers that have been really, really well done, right? Specific yeah. to Bitcoin miners. And so we found that there's really good suppliers out there. Upstream data is great. Um, AI Pro is great. There's, there's a lot of guys that we work with that have developed a product to run these miners really, really well. Okay. And specific okay, you're working to with upstream. Gas. I'm familiar with them. In fact, they were yeah. the people that I put in my presentation last year. My own people kind of doubted that this was – not, this isn't, I, I said, this isn't coming technology. This is here. Yeah. We're doing yeah. it. No, I mean, Steve Barber, the creator of Upstream, has been doing this for a very long time. I don't want to say the year. I think it was like 2016 or something. But, I mean, that that alone has just been awesome to watch because what I've seen with these container suppliers is that they're not afraid to admit when they're wrong, right? They can put out a product and be like, oops, we didn't do this well enough. Let us help you fix it. Right. And yet they know that it's going to continue to work because they know pulling this flare is a really, really good thing. Like upstream has a, um, I, I know I'm shouting it out a lot. Steve, you better give me some heart emojis or something on Twitter, but the, <laughs> they have a container that has a gen set in it already. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really cool. So you just so hook up to the one, gas and you go one trailer. So, so you don't have a generator trailer and a mining Correct. trailer. You have a generating mining trailer. one box. One box, one box, one trailer, one pipe. You're golden, you know, flying, and uh, you're making Bitcoin. And it makes it redeployable. So if we have a flare coming to the end of its useful life cycle, we're out hunting for another energy source, and we can just back up a trailer, take a crane, pop that thing on there, move it over, hook it back up, and turn it back on. Absolutely. We have to have that mobility. You know, that mobility is key, right? So our, the lifespan of our Louisiana location is approximately three years, but we're already, we know we have other sites ready to go when that's done, right? We're planning ahead. We're looking at other states, right? We're, we're looking at Mississippi. We're looking, we're looking all over, right? And we're, we have those contracts ready to roll. And what's given us that ability to do that is, the the presence that we've already established, right? Because once you have an operation going, it's so much easier to say, hey, can we take your gas? Look at what we've done so far, right? Because that's the biggest intro. The the, the barrier to entry is pretty uh pretty thick, right? It's a yeah. little bit challenging. But once yeah. you get in there, it's 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 uh it's a lot of fun. Once you do one site for a company, it's like, oh, nothing blew up, nothing exploded. <laughs> Guys didn't yes. rope in out of ATF helicopters and shut us down, like Whatever yet, yeah. fantasies in their head <laughs> didn't happen, and their money's green. They paid the bill. Yeah. Shit, do it That's all. Right. And I That's think right. that, like, the thing that crosses political boundaries with Bitcoin, and it does start out initially very much in the libertarian anarcho space, um, because it's it's obviously a dream come true for an anarchist like me. Like, oh, money without government. Sure. But if you start thinking about this, 
Think about the person that is not a complete nut job, just a person that would describe themselves as left politically, cares about the environment, and cares about their local services. Can't you see this person eventually getting to the point where they hear about this, if they're open-minded enough to investigate, they understand now what's happening. This stuff is being wasted, and it could be making Bitcoin. And maybe they don't care about making money, but they care about the fact that they're trying to get their park upgraded or whatever. And and down the road, the city's running a landfill. And when, when Bill drives by it in his Prius, there's this flare of freaking flame up in the air, And Bill going to the town council say, wait a minute, or goes by the, the sewage treatment plant, same thing. He says, wait a minute, don't you know that we could be harvesting that? And there's all this, you know, it's bad, but you're burning it anyway. And there's a point where even the most blockheaded, boneheaded person, that little tiny bit of information infiltrates, like gets through that, that giant cell wall, gets an ion for and crawls in there, and the light comes on and wait, wait a minute. This is what we're gonna, I mean, my city of Fort Worth, I'm not really in city proper, but it's my address, the city, because I'm out in the county. They say, we're mining Bitcoin. The right. city of Fort Worth is mining Bitcoin. I think they're running two S19s or something in one of their data centers. It's not huge, but, you know, it's a start. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think even even when you think about the landfills and you think about other applications and harvesting that wasted energy – There's other ways to do it. You know, if you think about it, you could have a centralized location where they just harvest bleed off of gas, right? Or yeah. byproduct of production, right? So you take a big, they call them queens, right? The semi trailers that have, mm -hmm. uh, you know, big tanks on them and you fill them with gas and you, but they're just the bled gas that would normally just get wasted anyways. And you bring them to a centralized location that's mining Bitcoin and then poof. You're consuming the otherwise that would have just been bled off gas, which is hmm. another application. I mean, there's so many ways to look at this and say, wasted energy, how do we consume it? How do we make a viable asset? 99% of the time, Bitcoin's the answer. It's really cool. Bled off gas, is that kind of like, so if you run a big shop compressor, air, just air compressor, you, you, what you really want to do if you want it to last a long time is you put a little valve in it that bleeds off a little bit of air every day. Sure. And it bleeds off that air because with compression over time, you get moisture and it bleeds the moisture off. So it's a maintenance thing. Is that what you mean by bleed off gas? I've just never heard of that before. No, you're good. And that's, and that's a, a kind of a novel thing that we've been, uh, we've been considering. And now see, now I'm getting into the weeds and I, I know when I'm getting into the weeds, but yeah. I'll, I'll do my very best to explain it. So what, what it goes to for this, um, for an LNG site, right, is a really good example, right? So you're, You make a gas and you deliver it to a consumer and then you offload all of that delivered product. And when you offload, you're going to have some leftover, right? Okay. And, and you're going to kind of like the, the ice at the bottom of the glass. Now imagine being able to use the ice at the bottom of the glass by being able to bring it to a centralized location, adding it into a centralized tank and then consuming that centralized tank that has five other Uh, glasses of ice connected to it, right? I, I, I okay. hope that made sense. That Basically, does. you're just taking that minimal amount of waste and you're adding it to a centralized location and consuming it. Hmm. It, it requires infrastructure. It requires, uh, quite another a bit. form of stranded energy, basically. Correct. That's, so let's use it. Yeah. Let, indeed, let's use it. Um, so that's really cool. So an average person that wants to get a single miner could work with your company. I, I really didn't understand that because most of the companies I've looked at, they've been marketing more of that. They deliver the solution and somebody's buying 
you know, a, a twelve million dollar or fifty million dollar setup. So that's yeah, no, that's that's making no, that's it more crazy. scalable. That that's yeah. awesome. And that way, I think we need all these players because there's 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 greedy ass oil and gas companies gonna be like, we're gonna mine some Bitcoin. We're gonna mine our own Bitcoin. Like you know, I think Exxon's mining Bitcoin now, or at least oh you know, yeah, forming their ways into doing it. Um, but then there's small, the smaller producers are like, I don't understand this. That's the, the mayor that said, how do you know they're in the ground here in North Carolina, right? They don't get that, but they do understand we'll pay you X dollars per day for that gas you're burning that's going away. And, and by sure. the way, now it's my problem to study yours. Cause I talked to one dude that's working with a company doing something similar. And he said one of the biggest advantages to him is they have more security on site. Right. Because obviously Absolutely. when you put this Connex in and this generator and you got millions of dollars of equipment there, it's kind of important. Right. Just a little so bit. Have, yeah, it's a little bit important, right? You don't want it to go away. Um so it he said it improves security on the job site. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's it's a very helpful thing. Uh you know, from from that standpoint too and security is very 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 important. Uh we take it, you know, obviously very very uh seriously as well but we're also you know the rurality of the sites helps too you know you're in the middle of nowhere so that's a good thing cool so let's uh let's take a few questions here from the audience um we'll see how they go because i wasn't really reading them i was just anything with all caps i was starring uh for later what kind of work is open for an orange pill orange pill truck driver gas tanker delivery in the industry supporting the bitcoin network Hey, uh, you know, honestly, I think the best way to answer that is keep an eye out. You know, uh, yeah. I know those jobs are going to come on board. They're they're going to be out there soon. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, giving it more adoption time. So, I I don't I don't know of any jobs right now, but yeah, <laughs> there's plenty of jobs for truck drivers right now. Um, yeah, no kidding. Brian said both of your thoughts on existing sources such as vaping's use of landfill flaring. Any other New Deal proof sources we haven't taken advantage of yet? You know, I think I think the uh, the newest that I could think of is that bleed off, right? And that's yeah. uh, that's that's the best uh, best solution that we've we've kind of considered so far. Um, otherwise, it's just a matter of getting operators on board with what we're doing. Uh, that way, we can open every facet, every door, right, from landfills to stranded wells to LNG, right. We just have to get that adoption up. I think the place that I would look for more exploitation would be the uh, sewage treatment flares. Because, oh, I like that. Yeah. Right. So, like, if you think of landfills, there's a lot of places where there's a bunch of small communities, and the landfill is very far away from all of them. And they're all going to centralized landfill, and then that's what vaping is doing, right? But sure. there is probably relatively close to any, when I say decent size, I'm the 20, 30, 40,000 person settlement. They're probably on their own sewer treatment. And it, and not always, but in many cases, that means it's going to fall under local government's purview to what gets done with that. And I think that's a place for proactive activism because I think activism at the federal level, unless you're a lobbyist, you just forget about it. Right. And if, and you better be a lobbyist for like a company that measures their sales in hundreds of billions or no one even talk to you. But we can still get things done at a local level. And one thing local politicians don't want to do is get fired. And right. I, I found the, the way to motivate them is to, to point out that if they don't do a thing, they're going to look really stupid. Right. Don't call them stupid. They get mad and throw you out. But you're like, you know, if we don't do this, we're going to look really stupid. 
And then there's this extreme motivation to not look stupid. And so there are, there's a tremendous amount. I think the last thing I read on this was like 1200 sewage facilities that flare that have no capture plan. Right. Not they don't capture. They have no plan to capture at all. Like it's just, it's just there. And to me, that's the thing that, you know, we can, let's harness the value of proactive Karens. Right. Yeah. We all give Karen's a bad rap, but if you can get five or six Karen's going to a town council meeting going, why aren't we harnessing that and making money with it so that we can fix the swings at the park? Right. That's a right. whole different Bitcoin argument. I've never heard it before, but I think it, it it's what we could have. Absolutely. Absolutely. When cities get involved, it's, it's going to be a really good thing. You know, it's, it's period. It, and then we can use it to improve that infrastructure, just like you're talking about. See, I think there's this whole mentality in the Bitcoin space of it's ours, not the government's, but it lacks the subtle understanding of asymmetric warfare. So to me, Bitcoin is the first asymmetric weapon. There's asymmetric warfare, but there's never been an asymmetric weapon before. So what I mean by an asymmetric weapon is if if we go back in time, there's no semi-automatic rifles, and I invent the first AR-15 or AK-47 or whatever, right? And, and no other nation has it. I have the only repeating rifle in the world. The worst thing that can happen is anybody else gets it. I don't want anybody else to get it. I don't want anybody to copy the design. I want to maintain this, this symmetric warfare where I have the advantage for as long as possible. And what happens when they get it, nobody's advantaged. We go back to being even. Right. Where if you have an asymmetric weapon, when your enemy, your adversary, your competitor – call it what you want, picks it up and uses it, you get stronger. So if cities start adopting Bitcoin, it's good for Bitcoin, even if I don't like what the city's doing with it. Because that's where we actually clearly start to define it as money. Right? Right. It's money. And so if it's going to be money, then it needs to be the most widely used settlement tool on the planet if it's really going to be money. And so I think that it's always good when anybody picks it up and runs with it, I was talking to Adam Curry on Twitter right when the Elon stuff started with Twitter. And I can't remember who somebody called out Elon and was like, hey, you know, integrate lightning on Twitter. And Curry was like, ah, oh, shit. Remember when he rug pulled us? And I'm like, yeah, but Bitcoin's for everybody. Right. Bitcoin's for everybody. And it's it's a good thing. Uh, K-Box says, what's the kilowatt required for mining, thinking of micro mining at the homestead feasibly? Um, yeah, so I, I mean, kilowatt hours, you'd be looking at approximately 4,800 for a KD box pro. Okay. Uh, that's 200, 200 watts, right? And that's per hour. So multiply it by 24. Uh, you know, it's pretty straightforward. That would be the best start for a, a, just a small operation. Okay. Um, yeah. K also said, can you write off a minor on your taxes? My way of interpreting that, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, is it would be an asset in the business and subject to depreciation. So unless it somehow qualified for accelerated depreciation, you would say it's a five-year life cycle. If you did a straight linear depreciation, 20% per annuum, or you could do a front-end accelerated. So that would all be a conversation with your accountant. But it's not a, I bought the miner and it was 15 grand, and now I write minus 15 grand. It would be apportioned across time as it depreciated. Is that how that works? 
So I've always been reluctant to answer these questions because I'm not a tax professional. (laughs) So don't, don't take it as such. But what you said is, is, uh, very reasonable. Uh, the, the lifespan, you know, you approximated at five years and it all depends on whether you're a business or not. Uh, that's a, that's a big thing as well. Uh, but, you know, the other thing is, uh, how you get taxed on the coins that you mine and when you sell them, right? So, um, I would encourage you just, you know, your CPA, uh, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot of Bitcoin tax attorneys out there or tax, uh, strategists. So, uh, contact one of those and, and, uh, get a good, get a good example on that. And we always have to be careful with, as podcasters with these answers, because even if I give you a perfect answer today, it might not be tomorrow and you might listen to this on Friday. That's that right. legislation too, right? The legislation yeah. might change. <laughs> it just changes. Or the way the IRS interprets the, 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 the existing regulations changes sometimes. They, right. They'll put out letters of guidance and things like that. So tax attorney CPA, I give that answer like we, we've talked about doing a TSP branded eight ball, you know, the magic eight ball. And, and one of the answers would probably be tax attorney CPA. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love it. Cause that's how, that's just how often we use it. Um, Brian says, does Musk have a minimal expected production capacity limit before they work with a producer? I guess that's the life expected life cycle of Gasler. Yeah, so we measure in, so we look at a wellhead uh, based on its MCF per day. Uh, so approximately one megawatt is around 270 MCF, maybe 300, depending on the quality and pressure of the gas. Uh, you know, we'd like to take advantage of the small wells. There are, you know, going back to the upstream containers, you can get 350 kW containers, 360 kW containers that allow you to take advantage of those smaller wells. Um, but bigger the better. Uh, give us yeah. the big stuff. So, uh, we're all in it. I guess I think you're looking at two things. You're looking at raw volume and duration, right? Like those yes, are correct. two parts and of quality. the equation. And yeah, quality, volume, right? quality. Pressure, duration, uh, yeah, absolutely. And we actually have a geologist that we work with too, uh, that we consult that, uh, he has, uh, really good knowledge of what we're seeing below the ground that allows us to see, uh, the duration of the gas, which is a really good thing. There's a lot of, there's a lot of players in, in, on the team that, that help us succeed that are, uh, way smarter than I am. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's the, I remember Henry Ford's famous thing about somebody asking why he didn't go ahead and get a college degree once he got all rich. And he said, cause I have thousands and thousands of people that have college degrees that work for me. Right. Yes. You know, like, like, so I, I have access to the information. I have access to the talent. Uh, no matter how smart anybody is, like you, you can't run an enterprise on your own. You, you can't do it. You can, I, I've always said that about what I do. Like I could be a lot bigger than I am, but. I like being a one-man show and not having to deal with people, and that comes as a trade-off. And if you want to grow, you have to deal with people, and then you have to realize that you want great people, you want to build them up, and then you want you want them to go out and do great things for you. So you need smarter people than yourself. And one of the biggest reasons I think entrepreneurs fail is they are afraid of people that are smarter than them, and that is that is a death sentence to a company. So it's good to hear you say that. Uh, if I'm yeah, if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I'm, the, I'm in the wrong room. Wrong room. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, shout out Carl Williams. Uh, he, he did teach me that one. So awesome. Awesome. Well, Blake, this has been a great discussion. You want to tell people how they can learn more about, uh, how to work with you and what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, check out our website, muskminers.com. Uh, you can schedule an appointment with us, uh, to talk or just send us an inquiry from there. We're on Twitter as much as possible. Uh, we're on Reddit. 
Uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram as well. So check us out, Telegram, uh, at Musk Miners for all of those. So, uh, but our website's great. It has my number listed on there and my partner Chris's number listed on there. I don't know how much longer we're going to be doing that. I get a lot of phone calls a day. Good problems, really, really yeah. good problems. But I also yeah. want to be able to have people put a face to the name and, and let them know that their uh, money's not going wasted. So, uh, yeah. Uh, how much do, it, can I read that? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, plug and play package. I pay, uh, do they do all the shopping and setting up? Yeah, so we help you figure out what miner you want and what is most feasible for you. And then, yeah, we set it up. We send it right to our location. And if we you're kind of an average cost, like if somebody wanted a miner in one of your facilities, I, oh, I know that yeah, pretty, sure. yeah, he's asking what, what, what an average cost would be. My bad. Uh, yeah, so uh, we have five uh, five unit MOQ right now. Uh, that's approximately, so the S19s, the cheaper models would be about three grand. So you're looking at about 15,000 for an investment and, uh, that'll get you five S1996 terahash units and, uh, get you rolling mining. So. And what's, what's kind of like rollout, uh, way back years ago, I had a guy that was a very small independent guy, built a mining facility. Uh, I recommended him. It worked out for some people, not for others. Eventually went out of business during the great crypto crash of 2018, uh, so there is some concern over that. Like you guys are not he, he what he was doing and I didn't know it. He was selling equipment before he had it while there were right. shortages. Right. So like what is like delivery expectancy? If I went there today and I, I paid you 15 grand, when, when do I see my equipment up and running? Um, yeah. So we're looking at mid uh, we're looking at late September deployment right now. That's what we're we're quoting mid to late September, okay. uh, maybe mid October, depending on our container manufacturing. So, okay. yeah. So we're. 30 to 30 to 40 days. Sure. Yeah. And, and if we have a container on site, uh, normally that'd be seven to 14 days. Cool. And K bomb says TSP mining co-op. We'll see, bro. I I don't know, man. I, I kind of let people do their own thing anymore. Like every time I split energy, uh, and, and then other people get involved, it's, it's, I run a one man show. I'm just saying. I love it. Anyway, Blake, um, muskminers.com is the website. Great Twitter account. Lots of great information comes out there beyond just, hey, this is what we have. I have links to everything from you guys in the show notes. That'll be available in the audio version of this podcast, which will be up about one hour from right now if you're watching it live. If you're watching it in rewind, it's probably already there. There's a link in the video notes below. And remember, there's always all kinds of yummy links down there in the video notes, too, like you know, if you're a Bitcoiner and you're not using the fold card, you hate money. Don't do that. There's a link down there where you can get 5,000 free sats. Start using the fold card. And if you don't pay for your S19 miners with your fold card and get your one and a half percent back in Bitcoin, I don't know what's wrong with you. So, again, Blake, thanks for being with us today, bro. It was wonderful to be here. Had a great time. I really appreciate it. Great interview. And I really think that people need to start expanding their understanding of what it means to be able to make energy profitable anywhere. All right, that, 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 that's actually what we should be talking That's one of the main marketing messages of Bitcoin. Make energy profitable anywhere. And we would think that energy is profitable everywhere, but it's not. It's not. There are all types of places where we have these natural resources with, that we can harvest the energy with no pollution. For instance, hydroelectric is the cleanest form of dependable energy we can have, but many locations that can generate hydroelectric energy, they can't generate enough or they're too far out. But we can use, we don't need a flare gas miner, but we can use this portable Bitcoin mining to actually make it make sense 
to, ex- to, to exploit these resources in an environmentally friendly way. We can start looking all around the world and go, where is their trapped energy? And how can we make that energy viable for human use now? Not just for Bitcoin profit, because if we develop affordable, reliable energy, then we can develop strong civilizations, and not necessarily giant cities. We don't want that all the time. Small towns, villages that are self-sufficient from an energy standpoint, thousands upon thousands of them all over the world. Not just the flare gas tech, the entire concept that we discussed today. Just something to think about. With that, as we wrap up, let me remind you, you can always support my show by doing your online shopping starting at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. You go there, you help support us no matter what you buy. Today's item of the day is one that's kind of been, been, I've owed you this for a long time. The problem was the previous item just wouldn't die. And so I've always recommended one of the main things that belongs in your kitchen is an electric kettle. If you drink a lot of coffee and tea like we do, it's self-explanatory. There's a lot of other stuff you can do with electric kettles. They're fan- especially the new ones like the one I've got for you today that have precision adjustments where you can say, I want to set this to 160 degrees. If you're a home brewer, home mead maker, small batch, especially small batch meads and ciders and, and, and country wines, being able to pasteurize fruit at 160 degrees without setting pectin alone would make it worth having an electric kettle. How about being able to cook an egg with a perfect soft yolk? I use sous vide for that, but if I only want to make two or three eggs, I actually just use my electric kettle. And you can you can learn more about my write-up, how to do that. So I had, for years, recommended a, a kettle by Hamilton Beach. And it's just a plain Jane. You put water in it, you set it on the base, you hit go, and it boils the water, blah, done. That damn thing lasted six years and over 2,000 cycles. And it never broke. What happened was the hasp that closed the lid, the, the, it wore out, and it wouldn't stay closed anymore. So it wouldn't shut off when it hit boil. So we sent it to, to Goodwill, and maybe somebody could fix it. And I found one made by a company called Morocco. Great kettle, had it about two and a half years. It's starting to act a little iffy, and they stopped manufacturing it. So I've been waiting for Hamilton Beach to bring out a good variable temperature kettle, precision kettle, and they have one now. It's about 15 bucks more than the Plain Jane one, and Hamilton Beach just has an amazing quality reputation for a good reason. So if you go to tspaz.com, you look at the latest reviews, you'll see it's the most recent one if you're listening to this, you know, anytime right after it's published. Um, I have a video in it kind of going over the features with you. This is a great thing to add to your prepper kitchen. There's so much you can do with an electric kettle, including things like when you need to heat up a lot of water fast, being able to boil 1.7 liters in a couple, three minutes, and then adding it to your larger pot, that would be a thing. Um, there's just so many options for this. We used our electric kettle extensively during our water outage. How does that work? Well, we had water. We just had to bucket it in, bring it in, take it from our rain catch, etc. But when we were doing the dishes, I would just fire up the electric kettle, and then I would have hot water and pour it over the dishes, and it made doing the dishes in the sink without you know true running water so much easier. 
So there's a lot of utility here. Remember, you can find everything I recommend at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com. No matter what you buy, if you start there, you help support us. That's really easy. I also want to encourage you guys, this podcast is great. You guys love it or you wouldn't listen, but it's even better in the Fountain app and consider sharing value for value. I'll be reading some boostergrams later this week. I wanted to make one real quick announcement on the way out. So Fountain has started putting up a top 50 list of podcasts. And these are the podcasts that, instead of most listeners, the most supported podcasts financially in the Fountain app, which actually says to me a lot more than your raw number of listeners because it means that people see value in what you do. TSP last week, and thank you so much for this, was the fourth most supported show on Fountain. Number one was No Agenda with Adam Curry with like 1.3 million listeners total. Number two was Podcasting 2.0, also Adam Curry, also over a million listeners. Number three was Marty Bent. Marty Bent, and, and Marty Bent is a much bigger show than me, especially in the Bitcoin space. Number four was the Survival Podcast. And Bitcoin Breakout as its own feed made it into the top 50. Thank you so much for that, because to me, that says so much about the fact that my content that I put out is valued. Because it's not just people will spend time listening to it, but they'll recognize the value with V4V and say, hey, you know what, that was worth a buck. Here's 5,000 sats. Even when people say it's worth a quarter, here's a couple hundred, 300, 400, 500 sats. Thank you. Because it all, it all matters. And thank you for the boostograms. And I will read some later this week. I actually was talking to Adam on Twitter today and said, I can't, you know, he's like, read all your boosters. I'm like, I can't. I can't. There's so many of them. That I literally could do a one-hour show reading boostograms. I don't read them all in the air. I read them all. Thank you so much for the honor of being recognized that way in the first top 50 chart on Fountain. Take care, guys. I'll catch you tomorrow with another episode. Tomorrow, see for you guys that are tuning into the Bitcoin breakout only, there's a lot to be learned about self-sufficiency and self-reliance, independence, and liberty beyond what Bitcoin can do. It plays well with all this. We're going to talk tomorrow to Sarah Richard about helping students catch up post-pandemic, providing parents with resources to keep their kids ahead if they choose to homeschool because so many kids are reading at a grade level lower than they should be right now. Sarah has developed methods to help kids catch up who have fallen behind, and you know how I feel about homeschooling. I think it's the best path for the most people. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast and the Bitcoin Breakout. They gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way You don't have to be another face in the crowd You don't have to live the way they tell you to Make your own way Others will follow Revolution
sure.